In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Hugh Holman, CEO and co-founder of Zerva. Hugh, welcome. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Absolutely. Thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, we appreciate it. You know, before we get started and get some of your kind of insights, I uh, would love to hear a little bit about Observa uh, and, and what led you to, to start the company. Well, first of all, I identified the problem that we're solving, but let me tell you about what we do because that will make it all connect. So at Observa, we help consumer brands and retailers measure and improve store execution. So we work at brick and mortar stores and we use a couple mechanisms to do this. We have a crowd of workers across North America. It's a couple hundred thousand people. And they use our mobile apps on iOS and Android to go to retail stores and measure how a brand's products are doing from a merchandising and promotion perspective. So they're finding out whether or not those products are actually on the shelf in front of the consumer, whether they're being placed on the shelves the way that that brand would expect. This often has to do with planogram compliance, which is the design of the shelf. They uh, find out whether pricing is accurate, promotions are in place, as well as other parts of the store. So it's not just center aisle where products normally are, but promotional activities such as in caps, display promotion, and so on. We use artificial intelligence then to digitize the photos. So we take the photos that are captured that are photographic evidence to support what the observer is finding in the store, and we turn it into data. So which products were captured in the photos, what's the placement on the shelf, we can measure against the actual planogram, so the accuracy of the planogram for the store, so once again, compliance, and we merge with other data to deliver rich insights to our clients. Awesome. 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 What's the typical customer? So we work with uh, all different types of customers. Lots of ours are in the fast-moving consumer goods space. Grocery is a big focus for us. And so we're working for brands like Kind Snacks, Monster Energy, Pepsi, as well as smaller brands. So we're helping companies of all different sizes attack this problem and uh, measure both in that moment to help improve the consumer shopping experience and the execution of how their products are being displayed and promoted at the store, as well as to help them with information over time trending to improve the supply chain and also to carry on a stronger conversation with the chain, usually the brand working with the chain to help optimize that consumer shopping experience over time, add more shelf space for the right items, uh, improve the selection based on local preferences and so on. Got it, got it, got it. And what, what have you seen you as far as has there been changes in you know customer behavior during the pandemic or things absolutely? Happened? Oh, they have. Okay, great. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's been really interesting to watch. We've all been uh, 
suffering from the challenges associated with the COVID virus. And, and it's definitely led to changes in shopper behavior. So the first is that there are fewer trips to the store. And this isn't true for all chains. So some of the conventional grocery stores have actually had increases in the number of trips. But on a whole, on average, there are fewer trips to the store. So if normally a household would make four trips to the grocery store in a month, now they're making three. The second is that it's usually an individual shopper where it might have been the family before or the dominant shopper out of the household with some of the children in the household going to the store together. Now it's more than likely a lone shopper. The third thing is the basket of goods. So it's a larger spend or a larger basket of goods that's being purchased with each trip to the store. And then the last point I'd like to make is that there's also been an increase in online shopping. So this is buy online, pick up in store, or buy online for home delivery. And this increase in online shopping went up, and actually we saw a peak in June, and it's declined a bit, but it was very sharp increase to begin with. So it rose dramatically in the March, April, May timeframe, and it got to the point where it was actually 10% of what was being purchased. And what I want people to, to make sure they understand is we're not talking about traditional e-commerce. This is not Amazon. It's not ordering food to be shipped out of a warehouse and coming to their house. This is this is orders coming from the local grocery store. So it's, you know, omni-channel. They're just people were going to this mobile app or to the to the uh, store's app or Instacart or someplace like that to order, but it's coming out of the normal grocery channel. And do you think this is kind of the new norm or, or are these temporary changes in your mind? I think people really want to go back to the stores. I, I think that, that what we're seeing is that people do. I mean, if I use my household as an example, we often would go shop together. At least some portion of the family would shop together. You know, we'd sometimes incorporate a, a grocery shopping into a family outing, such as going out to lunch or dinner. And that just isn't happening right now. You know, it's just my wife going to the store or me going to the store. So it's definitely changed behavior in that sense. And then I'm I'm not sure, you know, about the amount of online ordering. Because it went up and peaked and is coming back down, I think that tends to show us that people really want to go pick out some of those groceries, you know, in regard to general preferences, right? They want to shop in store, definitely want to pick up and choose the perimeter items in the store, the perishables, right? And so I know that in my household, when COVID hit, we immediately shifted to online ordering and that lasted for a month or so. You know, we had high concerns over what COVID meant, but as we gained more information and learned about protective equipment, you know, wearing masks and so on, and then just reducing the number of people going, it became a faster trip to the store. We get exactly what we want and we're able to fulfill our needs with those trips and being efficient. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, it was actually uh, you know some of the bonding time that I spent with my son going through aisles. You you would want to talk about new products and stuff like that. So I, don't, I totally get it. What do you think? Some of the are some of the fundamental kind of long term changes that we will see, regardless of the fact. I, I think that's a great question. So let's go back to the previous point where people are now aware of how to order online, right? So the public has been trained at least some percentage and they now know how to order online. They have some level of comfort with doing this. And so we're going to see some amount of continuation with this online ordering, BOPUS, buy online, pick up in store, or even buying online for delivery to their home. But when I start to look at the stats around it, I'm not sure how much of that will be 
permanent, right? So let's say that 40% of shoppers learned how to do it and did it at least once. That doesn't make it permanent, right? And so will they do it 10% of the time? So is that 4% of shopping trips are actually done online? You know, I'm not sure. Is it going to be more? Is it going to be less? I'm not certain, but I know that it's not sticking at the rate that e-commerce folks would like it to. Uh, People focus strictly on the e-commerce space. It shows that there's still an affinity for going to the store. So I, I think that's going to continue. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and I think as we start to kind of look at, you know, of course, none of us know what the future looks like, but to conceptualize at least, I think a lot of what's, I guess, interesting is that people now, even my parents now know how to go uh, order groceries online, whereas pre-pandemic, they, they probably didn't, right? But I think the one thing that, that you said that's, that's, I think, spot on is that these experiences and, and going to these locations and being able to experience, you know, things where you make them either an outing or they're kind of a social event, or even outside of that, just spending time with maybe individuals again in your family and friends and all that good stuff that you wouldn't, I think it's going to draw people back into locations. We're, we're at the end of the day, a very kind of people centric you know, type. People like to be around other people and be, you know, again, engaging and, and interacting and all that good stuff. So I think we're going to see an element of that. As you've been, you know, and again, you have a bunch of people going to different stores and you're kind of supporting brands in this regard. What are some of the experiences that you've seen when you've gone to, gone to different stores that you that you really like? I really like shopping at stores that provide me a broad experience, lots of different products to choose from and so on. And so, for instance, I really like shopping at Wegmans. It's probably my favorite chain and it's all about selection, selection, selection. You know, you can always find new things to try along with your current favorites or stores are very large and open and have a great product selection. So uh, unfortunately for me, I'm here in Seattle and and they're due east all the way across the country. But I, I really enjoy their shopping at their stores, their prepared foods or unique items or their layout and the overall shopping experience. But another one that I like actually is quite different. And so I think that the contrast is interesting. I love shopping at Trader Joe's, but it's for completely different reasons, right? It's a great shopping experience, though. So it's very different in the sense that it's a much, much smaller store, very limited selection, but the experience is great. I love how they've removed a lot of the friction in shopping. For instance, in their frozen section, leaving all the the shopping open. You know, there are no doors holding you back from looking at the the frozen products and you can touch them. And it's really the only store where I shop specifically to get frozen items. And I, I know that's really interesting besides ice cream. I mean, I buy ice cream everywhere I go because it's one of my uh, uh, favorite foods. But it's really interesting that you end up buying a different selection of products at a Trader Joe's. At least I find that that we do in my household than at other stores. And so uh, I really like both of those different formats and, and the shopping experience from each. That's so interesting. I've never thought about that, but you're totally spot on. You know, they keep the open. There's no kind of doors, no friction in that sense. Actually, as I think about it, yeah, I probably buy more kind of frozen goods at Trader Joe's as well. So it's so, <laughs> that's very interesting. What do you think is, you know, as, as we kind of look at some of these, you know, different experiences across, you know, and right now specifically we're talking about grocery, but across grocery, what are, what are some things that you think will, you know, kind of occur in that store and that grocery uh, environment to be able to, you know, engage with customers more so? over the year. Yeah. So retailers really need to focus on that consumer shopping experience. And I know I know that they intend to, but I think that we've learned some things here with this COVID experience. It's really kind of shined a magnifying glass on some of the challenges. And we first experienced some of these problems back in February when uh, people started stockpiling. 
So retailers need to improve their ability to maintain real-time inventory levels to support both the shoppers in the store, as well as people that are going online and doing this online ordering for in-store pickup or, or for home delivery. In both those cases, knowing what's at the store and having accurate inventory improves the shopper experience and shopper satisfaction, as well as the efficiency for any of the, the people working on the in-store bagging for online shoppers. You know, you got to understand the challenges that they're up against are the same that we have when we go shop. You go to an aisle, you're looking for a product, it's not there, right? What do you do? What do you do? Do you choose a substitute? How do you make that decision, right? And so right now in this online shopping experience, there's so much friction around substitutes. It's what are the rules for even offering a substitute item? right? That's logic that has to be built into the technology, but it needs to follow how a shopper would make the decision standing there in the store. So if you take it back to the shopper and, and the majority of the goods are, are not being ordered online, they're, they're being purchased by people in the store. Maintaining a consistent shopping experience by ensuring that the shelves are full is key. And we work with lots of consumer brands. You know, I mentioned some like Kind or Bob's Red Mill, Beyond Meat, you know, we're working with Procter and & Gamble and, and CVS pharmacy stores. And the focus there is all about measuring and improving that experience. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity there on the path to optimizing the consumer shopping experience. But the focus really starts with measuring so that you know what's actually happening in that consumer's path to purchase. In fixing these problems, it increases brand equity for the chain it increases brand equity for the brands that the, that the consumers are shopping for, and at least a higher sales for both. And so it's a win-win for the companies that, that have that focus to measure and improve that consumer shopping experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a question that came to mind, as I'm curious, you're probably the expert now in grocery, especially. Have you learned what engages, and I think consumers are going to be different here, of course, but like what brands do on their labels and like shelf, you know, where they where they're kind of positioned on the shelf to be able to engage with customers. Are there any findings there there that you've found interesting over the years? Oh yeah. And you know, this has to do with marketing and uh, measuring marketing effectiveness and and you know, this is challenging. Understanding what consumers engage with and there's so many studies and so much information out there on what drives consumer behavior. One of the things that's challenging in retail, brick and mortar retail, that's different than e-commerce is the speed of measuring and being able to make decisions. In e-commerce, it happens so fast. You can see every step in that path to purchase and it's being tracked and you have analytics and reporting associated with it. And you can make decisions on how you change your marketing. It's much harder on the products in the store. And, and it's very important how they're being displayed. You know, what call-outs are on the packaging applies to both online and in the store. But how they're organized on the shelf and consistency of that is hard to manage. Where online, you can manage what products are showing for the consumer, how they're being organized together on the page. It's just the fact of retail and so many people being in a store and touching the shelf and the items and so on just makes it very hard to make consistent. Yeah, no, makes sense. As you're talking to these different brands, is there like a key takeaway that you, I know, again, every brand's going to be different, but are there key takeaways that you give to these different brands on, on how to you know, basically position themselves? 
Yeah. I mean, to me, it's really about measuring and improving. So it starts with auditing what's happening, you know, but this is true with any business. If you're going to improve it, you have to measure. So it starts there. It's ensuring that you have a plan for measuring what's happening in your business. So it doesn't matter whether you're the brand or the retailer and that you're doing it in a consistent way over time so that not only do you understand what's happening in a moment in time, but you can see trends because if you don't have trending, then you can't tell how you're doing in relative periods of time. And you don't know whether any of the decisions you're making from having that additional information is driving the intended results. And so it's really important to put these uh, capabilities in place, whether you're building the capability in-house or you're using you know, a company like ours to help you. It's important that you, you understand the importance and that you actually head down that path. Hugh, being in the, of course, technology space and, and just helping, you know, these brands, are there, you know, technologies that you've seen uh, being adopted at a faster pace than you expected? Well, I, I, you know, as mentioned before, online shopping, obviously during COVID took a major trend upwards and we'll see how it sticks, right? I think that there's so much more that can happen in regard to mobile shopping. I think that there, there's something that's completely missing. At least I think about it from use of uh, shopping apps in my household. Food is very social, right? So, you know, kind of the kitchen is the center of your house. A lot of the structure in your family and your household has to do with mealtime and how you get together, you know, what people want to have and and uh, planning for those meals. And, and so, like, and it's true in my household. Everything re- revolves around the kitchen and communal eating. You know, we eat as a family. We make menu decisions with input from, you know, our kids. And, and this drives our household purchasing, right? And so, any way that these apps can make it easier for children to collaborate with the parents, you know, my kids collaborating with me and my wife from a menu and shopping list perspective would have a lot of value. And so, I expect that to come. I haven't found any any place that exists today, and I think it's going to be a challenge for grocery stores specifically or any retailer specifically to hold that tech within their own mobile app as opposed to somebody else offering it across multiple stores. What does the future look like? And, and let's talk about kind of grocery first, and then we can go to other. I'm curious to see what your thoughts are about other segments as well. But what does the future look like as far as t- technologies that you think will have a big impact on on shaping the future of grocery to start with? Tech to help with uh, consistent measurement of what's happening in the stores, what's happening on the shelves, you know, retail audit in essence at scale, I think is foundational. The next thing, the next obvious extension is artificial intelligence because it delivers the speed, accuracy and time value necessary to measure on an intraday basis. So multiple times a day to support improvement on what's happening for in-store shoppers during the day, during the day to focus on who's in the store, where's the, you know, what's being depleted, how do we replenish it and remove any unnecessary friction from that shopping experience. And once again, that, that relates to anything online as well, because all those goods are coming out of the store. It's true omni-channel, right? But just think about that experience, right? Where you order groceries for local pickup, and never having that substitution challenge that we were mentioning before. It's like, now it could be half the items that you ordered. They're asking you, what, you know, this isn't there. What do you want to do? That's way too much friction, right? And so if that experience where that's all known, and they know what products are there, and they're asking you about substitutes 
during your shopping decision-making as opposed to after the fact. I think that that's definitely in the future. And it's AI, it's intraday measurement at the shelf. It's maintaining of that knowledge exactly the same way that it's maintained with e-commerce. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that you had said that you know I completely agree with is the retailers in general, just kind of brick and mortar operators, a big learning that's come out of you know, COVID is if, if companies and brands are taking advantage of this is, you know, I actually learn a lot more about my customer because they're buying online. So the SKU sets, I, know, I understand, I feel like I know what, what I should probably carry more of in, in locations. And a lot of that data is important. One of the questions that actually came up from a you know, guest that I was talking to a few few days ago was, you know, it's actually interesting how some operators, like, I don't know if you have Safeways in, in the uh, Seattle area. Yeah, but Safeway actually, you know, you put everything on a Safeway card, but they've never used that to market to me, right? They Do they use that data to be able to actually, you know, sell me more stuff? Like, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm curious to see what your thoughts are about grocery chains in general and how they're going to use this data to be able to market better to customers. And or like maybe if they figure out that 50% of their customers buy this and this and that, like putting those next to each other to, to, to maybe create more of a sale. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts around that? Well, let's just use Amazon as an example. They know everything that you're buying. They know everything that you see. They know when you make purchase decisions. They know when you don't. They have some ideas around demographic values uh, for you and your household. And uh, so uh, there's lots of data. There's lots of segmentation. And they're able to adjust your shopping experience on the fly based on what you're doing, right? It's dynamic. The grocery, the traditional retailers, whether they're grocery, uh, drug, club, C-stores, they all should be thinking about, you know, how to better utilize that data. I mean, they have data, right? It's how do they u- utilize the data to improve that shopper experience, to customize and deliver a uh, refined shopping experience based on preferences, history, and so on, right? And so there's a lot of data. It's just, can they get to the point where they're utilizing it? And so it's not about what tech you don't have. It's about how you move your company further and utilizing the technology that's out there, right? And so a lot of these companies just need to invest. And I think as they do that, you know, I think about uh, myself as a consumer and our family in general, and if they did that more effectively, I would buy more. So I think it's it's definitely being able to use that to, to increment sales, is, of course, uh, and, and build really closer relationships with customers, I think. Hugh, that was a wealth of information. Before I let you go, uh, tell us, uh, what, what should we visit if we visit Seattle? Oh, there's so much here. So uh, Seattle's a beautiful city. It's located between a large uh, freshwater lake called Lake Washington and the Puget Sound, so saltwater. And then there's mountain ranges on either side of of those two things uh, with the Cascades and the Olympics. So it's a beautiful scenery. It's hilly, lots of green, and it has the history of, uh, you know, the Yukon and the gold rush and being the center of business for people heading up there. And there's really just a wealth of opportunity to experience the outdoors. We have excellent restaurants. Unfortunately, uh, right now uh, is probably not the best time to come and and have a great food experience here, but definitely plan for that in the future to get outdoors, uh, experience uh, our culture here and uh, food. And it's a great city to live in and it's a great city to visit. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And again, appreciate your time today. I think our listeners are really going to love listening to all the expertise and thoughts that you shared with them. So thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me on, Bobby. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. 
To find the resources mentioned in the show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com. 